Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yaparowskis. This week, The Farthest Shore by Ursula K. Le Guin. Sound of waves. This Seagulls. This is the third book in what is commonly called the Earth Sea Cycle. It was published in 1972. Sounds like an almanac series. It does. We have a an episode on the previous book, The Tombs of Atuan. So go check that out if you're interested. The Sound of Bones. We do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover. So if you haven't read this one before or haven't picked it up in a while... Go get a refresher. It is a bit of a hard read, I will say. It's intense. It's intense. It's heavy. But worth it. Yeah. So come on back when you're done. (laughs) Before we dive into the book itself, we're going to talk about how the publisher chose to package and promote this book. The copy that we had when we were young is... From the Aladdin fantasy um, Mm. editions. And we had the full set of Wizards of Earthsea, um, Tombs of Atuan, and The Farthest Shore. Um, We get a realistic watercolor painting of Ged and Aaron on uh, the look far, looking out to sea. Um, with glorious capes on. Yeah. Really magnificent outerwear. Beautiful. And, you know, if they had actually been wearing these outfits throughout the book, I think things would have gone a little differently for them. I mean, they would have just been robbed and murdered immediately (laughs) at the beginning of the book. It's true. So it's good. So, yeah, different. It's good that this is just some flair that the artist added in. Yeah. And not a choice they actually made. The book cover also tells us that this was a... National Book Award winner. It's not a Newberry. Not as good as a Newberry. Which is our favorite young person's literature award, but it's not without merits. I like this cover. It's not, it's a bit dry. It's it's chill. Like it's not, I'm not like in love with it, but it's, it's fine. It's low key. Um, You know, they're not going to show the two of them in the land of the dead trudging through the mountains of pain. So I like the momentum and action that uh, was attempted here. And, you know, maybe, maybe this encouraged some readers. It also makes it look very boy focused, which it is. Um, and we can, we'll talk about that. Yeah. It, it's like a young man coming of age type deal. A Bildungsroman. Um, yeah. So accurate. It's good. It gets the job done. There are some other covers that I saw on the internet that are magnificent. The one on the Wikipedia page has such a cool dragon looking down at a little Aaron, and there's a lot of great dragon oh, art. Awesome. I don't know why every edition doesn't feature a dragon. I know. Like if there's a dragon <laughs> that, that plays a, pl- a pivotal plot point in your book. Multiple or, dragons, no less. Yeah, like they, they should have. Just put the dragons on the cover, man. Put a dragon on it. Put a dragon on it. Madeline, would you like to give us a plot summary? I would. Um, I'm I'm using the Wikipedia entry to assist me in this because that no shame. Not a ton of plot happens in this book, especially compared to some other more um, twisty, uh, uh, like what would you say? Adventure stories? They're, they're Quests. <laughs> Quest books. It doesn't have like twist and like now we're doing this and da da da. Like it's pretty linear. Um, we're setting out to fix the problem. This is a quest to fix the problem. But it, at the same time, the parameters for how to fix the problem are wildly unclear. Yes. Which so, is probably why it's a bit more meandering. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, that is it. Like there is a problem. We, we have to go try to fix it and not too much. I mean, is the known. world is ending. <laughs> Well, might end if we don't fix the problem. <laughs> Fair. Um, but yeah, it's an incredibly powerful problem. And But as Grace is noting, it's a vague one. Uh, the wiki entry starts out, a strange, inexplicable malaise is spreading through Earthsea, <laughs> which I really like. Sounds familiar. Yeah. 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 This was um, hit 
in a timely and not very happy making way. But basically, magic is dying. Like magic is becoming less powerful um, and things influenced by magic are becoming less powerful and just less healthy and hail th- like animals and people. Uh, they're forgetting their songs and traditions, um, their customs, and they're forgetting about magic. Like they're forgetting that it was even a thing. Uh, so uh, Arin is sent by his father to meet Ged and Arin uh it gets a a big old parental type crush on Ged or Sparrowhawk, as he's called in this. He's the Archmage. As soon as he meets him, um, he is the Prince of Enlad. Arin is, and his uh, uh, he has in his lineage this very famous king, basically Morad. Morad, and also Ged is older than in the previous two books. Yeah, he's like fifty. He's the archmage right? now. He's like quite a bit older, older yeah. and more important. And uh, Arin is like, well, he they they do say many times that he's like tall and gangly. I got the idea that he was probably like sixteen. I think they say he's seventeen. Okay. Um. So uh, it. The reason for the setting off on this quest is that people can feel that something is wrong. Um, in particular, people are forgetting the songs, the songs that they use, like in their traditions and their ceremonies and their magic. Um, but then mages are also losing their abilities. Ged's boat is called Lukfar, and they go to meet this. Uh, I think that uh, first. Before they go to the sad town, they go to talk to the other wizards. Right. Yeah. Ed invites Arin into mm-hmm. a council with the other, um, I can't remember what the like great mages, I can't remember what their title yeah, is. Yeah. That, but basically they just share lots of dread and foreboding. And there's this, this heavy feeling of like something is bringing the world's uh, spinning to a slow grinding halt like something really bad is happening and there's even a little bit of like well maybe this is what's supposed to happen like maybe the world is ending and it's like no it doesn't feel natural it's Mm -hmm. this this evil malignant force that's making this happen instead um so ged and Arin set out to fix that problem (laughs) uh they go to Hort Town, um, which is uh, a uh, just fantastical bummer. Uh, we we were actually just listening to a part of the audiobook where the, the narrator says um, that the people's mouths are black as if bruised and flies buzz around them. Um, it's not good. It's not great. Uh, they, There's a drug called Hazia. That is very popular, yeah. and there is sort of say it. Hazia. There's sort of um, yeah, pretty significant abuse problem mm-hmm. with Hazia. Yeah, so they meet a wizard, uh, or I mean, she's like kind of a wizard. His name's Hare, and he is totally just detached he is saying things that are pretty wild and he's talking about like becoming a dragon and living forever and uh, they uh, use going to a place where others can't go yes yeah exactly um and everything there just has uh, terrible vibes um it's it's just it's brutal. Like everyone they look at and encounter uh, is uh, very poor and in in an abject way. Like they use the word abject, and Aaron's very uncomfortable. He says he's never seen such like sad, barren poverty in his life. Yeah, and he comes from a rich kingdom and then is a prince on top mm-hmm, of that. Right. So some of his privilege becomes known to him. Yeah, he's town. revulsed. He's like repulsed by what's around him. Um, so Hare, Hare doesn't help them that much, but they do realize that he, I think Ged talks about like, okay, he's under the influence of someone else and it's that someone else who is causing all of this bad stuff. And Ged sees an opportunity to possibly mentally travel oh, yeah. with Hare mm-hmm. to this place that he's talking about to try to get a clue as to where the magic is going. Yeah. Um, and uh, it uh, 
doesn't really work. Um, I think that he goes and he sees like a little bit of something and uh, Aaron is tries to go with him. But that's when they that Aaron gets kidnapped by slavers because mm-hmm. Ged and Hare are sleeping. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And Aaron wakes up. Well, on- they're in like yeah, liminal state. Not yeah. connected. Yeah. And then um, Aaron who was sleeping wakes up on a slave ship and there is this really intense part where Aaron is examining what's happening to him and he's like okay so I'm gonna die because I'm not gonna hack it as a slave they're gonna tell me to do something and I'm gonna reach a point pretty quickly where I say no and they're gonna kill me um but then (laughs) Ged pops out of like seemingly nowhere like they're on a boat um well he decides to use magic to catch up with them so he's in look far Mm -hmm. um and he's been reticent about putting magic out into the world Mm -hmm. a lot of Gandalf vibes with him where it's like you don't know the repercussions of what I might do Mm -hmm. yeah he's uh comes to the rescue he is a magical minimalist. Like he only wants to apply it where it's to maintain the balance. Right. Where absolutely necessary. He does not do frivolous magic. Um, so uh, he rescues uh, Arin from the slavers. And Arin has a lot of, like, it's a constant theme with him that he has a ton of self doubt. I mean, he's. 17 so that makes sense uh and he's really only learned about what it might mean to be a prince or be a king but he's he's never had the experiences the life experiences that would give him any kind of real leadership ability yeah so Aaron has this sense of self-doubt that comes from him not really understanding the world. Um, he loves Ged, but he also resents him a lot. And he's under the influence of an evil spell. Like that starts to erode everyone's mood, especially as the book goes on. Um, but it's not a fun journey. No, no. Unsurprisingly. No, it's not a journey where you sit around singing campfire songs. Um, there's no Gargi. And uh, when Ged rescues uh, Aaron, where do they go? I don't remember. That's the thing. Aaron is upset with Ged because he feels that he should have done more to actually free the slaves. Right. Yeah, and Ged but says, Ged is well, like, no, path of least resistance. I opened all of their chains. They can easily overwhelm the three slavers that are on the boat. Maybe they'll make them the slaves and go sell them. Maybe they'll murder them. Maybe they're just going to get off the boat. But that needs to be their course, and I can't decide that for right. them. Yeah, yeah. So it's a very, he's very particular about his wake in the world and he wants to have as little wake Mm -hmm. as possible basically um which as we learn throughout the book like is a really uh, smart and uh, uh safe way to practice magic without upsetting the balance um so they uh there is there's a part where they go to like um a town lorbanary the, the silk town. And I think that's where they meet the woman um, who used to do magic tricks. And this is a, a silk dyeing town. So they mm-hmm. have a very rich culture. And, uh, and we're once a wealthy city. Yeah. And now it's like a bummeritaville there too. And there's this woman kind of... Ged asks her to do magic tricks and uh, usually she would, but she says like, no, you can't because men will realize that you're tricking them and then they'll be angry. And they're conflating the scarf saleswoman from Hort town with the dyer of Lorbury. I am. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that that was in Hort Town, and then the, the uh, dying. Basically, the point of there is again to show that their um, culture and traditions are dying off. From that point, they encounter another group of people, um, and this is after the slave ship, who are like boat people. Wait, wait, we have to go back a little because. They leave Lorbury. They take the dyer's son with them. Right. And they attempt to continue forward. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they're heading when, east, right? <laughs> 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 they 
They literally go one direction the entire book, but neither of us are directionally um, proficient. We'll when, put it that way. And then at some point as well, there is a woman who Ged gives her a new name because she's lost that her name. That was the woman at Lortberry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the magic trick woman was uh, in Hale and, or no. Horttown. Horttown. <laughs> Did you read this book? Yes. <laughs> this book. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the woman with the mirrors was in Hort Town, and then the old woman who was a powerful sorceress uh, that gets at she at least like she was more than a mere medicine woman or something. I think he says mm-hmm. uh, she has totally lost her mind, and he helps her reconnect to reality by giving her a new name because names have a lot of power in the, this universe. Um, yeah, that's they why- all they all have their like public facing name and then right. their true name that's only used in like intimate powerful moments yeah uh ged uses sparrowhawk yeah i don't know why we call him ged but i think it's because that's like what that's how i think of him throughout the series mm-hmm. um yeah because we yeah, know but, what but we're not car we're not calling um Aaron like lebanon or whatever his name is but the narrator refers to him as Aaron, and the narrator and they, refers, refers to Ged as Sparrowhawk. As Sparrowhawk. We yeah. should be calling him Sparrowhawk, I guess. That's Whatever. okay. We know who We're is. indiscriminately using Ged's true name, okay? <laughs> That's what we've earned. So the Dyer's son travels with them, and mm-hmm. he institutes a sort of mutiny on the boat yeah. from Aaron's perspective. And he's also mad that he feels like they hurt his mother because she yeah. doesn't know him anymore now that she has her new name and yeah. new like personhood. But he insists that he knows where they need to go mm-hmm. to find the source of this problem. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, he's terrified of water. So he's just like in a constant miserable state and they they at one point draw close to land and he tells them that's it. That's where we need to go. And they're attacked by the people that live there and he jumps off the boat and drowns, effectively (laughs) kills himself because he can't swim. Yes. (laughs) So then Ged becomes severely injured. Yeah. He, someone throws uh, a spear at him. Yeah. That like embeds itself in the artery next to his uh, chest. So they don't land there where they were going to land because someone, uh, clearly the people there are hostiles. Um, and that's how they encounter the raft people. Yes. Because the raft people actually heal. Ged. They saved both of their lives because Aaron was like not capable of helping Ged. And he even says to him, like, I'm we, bad. We were, we were going to die. I was, I was going to let you die. Yeah. He stops caring for him or like changing his dressing on his wound. Um, he like gives him a little bit of water, but doesn't really do much to try to figure out how to get them to any sort of safety. And that's where Aaron has lost hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. And he's very firmly lost hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, uh, it, it's also important for his own development because he thinks and talks a lot about how he was just giving up and going to let Ged die and he was going to die and that was going to be it. Yeah. Um, so the raft people, a bright spot in this book. Yeah. Um, they are pretty unaffected. Uh, like they are not really affected by the evil. Um, they kind of live outside of the society that we yeah. think of as being like predominant in Earth Sea, mm-hmm. um, in the archipelago, right? And they're also because they li- don't live on land, right? Like distance wise, they have some distance from the people of land, but they are still affected. Um, like we witness one of their. Uh, I don't know what you call them, chanters, mm-hmm. um, lose the words to all of his songs. Like he just says, I, I don't have songs. I don't have songs. I can't, I can't sing. So they, we see yeah. that even these people are being affected by the mm-hmm. creeping evil. Mm-hmm. Creeping evil. Um, so they stay and heal up with them for a while. Yeah. And uh, Ged, not Ged, but Aaron Aaron has a, a pretty good time, like learning skills and hanging out with the raft people. Becoming a better swimmer. Age. Yeah, learning to swim better. Um, they actually, the, the dragon just flies over. That's, that's how we're introduced to the dragon. The dragon's name is Orm Embar. Cool dragon name. Um, 
and uh, tells uh, Ged uh, that they need to go to Celador, which is the home of the dragons. And they're they're actually going west, not east. Great. <laughs> um, and he, uh, Orma is really great at exposition. He tells Ged, uh, hey, dark wizard, dark wizard bad. He's the one doing all the bad. Go get him. Uh, so thank you, Ormambar, for helping out with that. Getting things back on track. Yes, yes. Um, so they go to Dragon's Run, uh, and uh, there's a lot of dragons there who are freaking out. Like, they're they're mad. They've lost their powers of, uh, like, speech and thought. And wisdom. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, they don't die but then when they finally connect back up with orm embar um he uh, they can't communicate with him basically because he's also sinking into the madness because of the way uh that the evil magic affects the dragons um and there's so the dragons are very very wise but they're also like there's definitely an edge of danger to them they're not benign deific benevolent forces mm-hmm. like they have some like you've got to be wary of them they're yeah. pretty scary actually they have an interesting combination of wanting to live outside of humanity and all the other little temporary goings on but also interfere with it sometimes <laughs> Yeah, they have a there was a we'll we'll talk more about the dragons during animals, just like animals in this book. (laughs) But um, there was an afterword by Ursula Le Guin where she said that she borrowed very liberally from Smaug for the dragons. And I think that that's a totally great way to think about them. Yeah. um, Jealous, hoardy type dragons who have their own stuff going on and don't care too much about people. Um, But the so. The There's e- more. The evil wizard Cobb is actually at the the dragon home, right? That's where they find That's him. That's where he sends his sending, yeah, to mess with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but and this is where I'm confused, folks. Um, <laughs> Orm Embar uh, sacrifices himself to destroy that sending or figure or whatever it is. It, it and there yeah. is a body. So was that? It's some kind of like golem. Yeah, but because it wasn't his actual original body because they say multiple times that that was dead long ago. (laughs) We're in the land of death. Things get confusing. The remains of Cobb's body, which cannot be killed, crawl into the dry land of the dead and get an R and follow. (laughs) Thanks, Wikipedia, (laughs) for that horrific sentence. Brutal. Um... So and they've crossed at this point the wall as they've described before, and Ged has talked. He talked to Hare about it and said that once you pass the wall, it's very difficult for most mages to return to the land of living. Yeah, yeah. And Cobb's whole deal is that he doesn't want to die. Um, that's his his big um, the the great evil that he's unbalancing the world for is so that he doesn't have to die. And that is a theme in this book that comes up a lot with Ged trying to teach Arin about that death is part of a cycle. And if basically everyone wants to strive for their own good, but when you place your own good above the good of others, which is a temptation that everyone has to struggle with, then you become a force of destruction rather than something good. Um, and Cobb has flown way past that yeah. point uh, into the badness. Um, so that's why they have to kill his flesh cart. They have to make him actually pass into death, which he has not truly done. Mm-hmm. He's in a bad in-between place. Yeah. And yeah. in the meanwhile... In the meanwhile, he's opened the door between the living and dead worlds, which is why the magic is being sucked into it Mm -hmm. and things are not going great. Yeah. um, And uh, something happens to Ged's magic in the process of killing Cobb. Um, It he uses it up. Yeah. Like it drains him. uh, To close the door. 
Yes, in destroying Cobb and closing the door so that he can't follow them back into the land of the living. Well, and more so that they can stop the slow seep of magic and life. Yes, to to stop his whole deal. (laughs) Foil him. Shut it down. Shut it down. Um, So that they make it back into the world of living and they have a just death march uh, through this pretty painful it's literally called the mountains of mountains of pain yeah yep when you get to that chapter you're like great last chapter of the book okay (laughs) good sign um and then a another dragon carries them back home um it kalesin leaves Arryn on Roke and flies on with ged to gaunt ged's home island um and then Arryn becomes king um, later there's like a little tiny epilogue uh, yeah yeah uh and uh, basically after he becomes king and uh, helps to uh, i mean or in the future the different provinces and stuff will be united under Arryn's rule um fulfilling his fate uh, and then he gets and hopefully solving some of these socioeconomic issues. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then he and Ged uh, talk about meeting at the end. They actually meet, right? No, there's a funny little. Some said yeah. that Ged was at the coronation. Okay. Others said that Arin went to seek him and could not get him to leave. Yes. Um, and this isn't the last book in this series, actually. There's... No. So, this book was published in 1972, and then Tehanu, the next book, mm-hmm. which features um, Tenar from the Tombs of At- Atuan okay. as the main character, um, wasn't published until many years later. 17 years after the publication of The Farthest Shore. Yeah, so, there, so the, the Ursi books for a long time were packaged as a trilogy, mm-hmm. which is the three books, and then Tahanu was added in, and now technically, A Wizard of Ursi, the, the Tombs of Atuan, The Farthest Shore, Tahanu, and then the, other, and then the other Wind, <laughs> and then there's a collection of stories called Tales from Earthsea. And because Ursula Le Guin, um, because of her writing approach, which was very, like, the worlds exist and I'm trying to like responsibly tell their story and discover them through yeah. that process. Yeah. Um, and because it's an archipelago, so there are, are all these different islands and like different places that we haven't discovered yet. Very Wind Waker vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, Zelda reference number one. <laughs> and uh, so that leads to yeah, yeah, very an opportunity vibe. for a lot of different shorter stories about different characters and places. Yeah. Um, and Gaunt, where Ged returns to, is also where Tanar is. So that's setting things mm-hmm. up for the next book. Yeah. Great plot summary. <laughs> that's a tough one. That Oof. was really... You did a commendable job. Thank you. I feel commended. Old and new impressions. I read this book. This was the first time that I read this book. I I don't think I would have been able to read this book as a kid. I actually had trouble getting through The Wizard of Earthsea the first time I read it at, when I was like 14, probably, um, because I remember I read it for my honors freshman English class. That makes it so much worse, though. Yeah. Like, Yeah. No, definitely. Truly, at that age, I mean... I was obsessed with reading. It was like all I did. And yet, if it was a book assigned for a class, I can only think of like a few exceptions where I was obsessed and loved the book. To Kill a Mockingbird is one. I But then they're like really there. In fifth grade, Hatchet I loved. <laughs> I yeah. remember binging Hatchet the first first night. I mean, we read a fair amount of John Steinbeck and stuff like that in... My oh, I was thinking a little younger, I guess. Wizard of Earthsea, like, I enjoyed. Um, That's really cool that you were assigned it. Yeah, it was, I was young, and we were kind of allowed to pick our own book that we were going to make the group do, and the, my group was like, ah, I don't like books. So I was like, okay, I'll just pick this one. I had a bit of trouble connecting to this book while I was reading it, um, as may be evident from my somewhat haphazard summary. Uh, 
I, I did appreciate the themes um, and I appreciated Ged and Aaron's journey and uh, there were things about it that I really liked, but as a linear story, I felt less connected to it than a lot of the books that we do, um, potentially because this is like a young male coming of age story, although we've done plenty of those that I like haven't had trouble connecting with. Um, this, this felt more like a philosophy treatise than a novel. It felt like it was a teaching story to me, um, in uh, like kind of an overt way. Okay. I didn't dislike it, but I had a harder time connecting with it. Um, this is maybe my own bias, but I don't think this is a good audio book. I think mm. it is one that you really so that need to problem. have in front of you because there are passages that I needed to really spend time with mm-hmm. to appreciate the it's richness of what's going on, of what's being said, because yeah. I totally see how it could be um taken on a fairly superficial level and feel like, okay, this is kind of being rammed down my throat, like the same messages again and again. But there's so much more that's being said about, I think specifically the death of the ego. That was something that Mm. I really got out of this book. And I really thought it was exciting and different that Ged goes from being an archmage to choosing to give away his power. Mm -hmm. And it's also the perfect closing of the circle of events that begin in the first book, A Wizard of Earthsea, when Ged is interested in raising people from the dead Mm -hmm. and in like kind of wielding his great power in whatever ways he can Mm -hmm. and accidentally awakens something too strong. Mm -hmm. Um, In this case, he's choosing to say, I'm not only going to not do that, I'm going to stop someone else from doing it. And I'm never going to perform magic again. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's also instructing Aaron in that approach to the world Mm -hmm. throughout the book. Um, I know I'm referencing Lord of the Rings a lot. I'm rewatching the trilogy right now. Well, this book is really Lord of the Ringsy. I thought Mm -hmm. it made me think about Tolkien a lot. Yeah. There especially the um there are so many moments that feel futile and there's such an examination of hopelessness um but where go ahead well i think i think that might have been part of the problem too is i have been struggling with hopelessness lately it's a hard time so i may have shielded myself from connecting with it Mm -hmm. a bit like not overtly, but subconsciously, uh, yeah. to be like, well, hold on, hold on. You're, you're having a little bit of a rough time right now. So maybe don't get too I deep get into the weeds of like yeah. this despair. Yeah. And we've been reading a lot of romps. Um, yeah. We've been going into the quarantine escapism, mm-hmm. but it's not just quarantine time anymore. It's racial reckoning in America time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and so we're, battling with um, both, you know, needing to take some time for yourself, but then also remaining active, engaged and um, effective yeah. uh, in the Black Lives Matter movement. Yeah. Um, and, you know, going into my old and new impressions, I, I did remember that this book was a bummer, um, but I also do get a lot of rewarding things from this book and I did have a moment where I was like should I not have picked this this week no I'm- maybe we should have yeah done something lighter but I love Le Guin's writing so much yeah. that yeah her, I just her writing is to beautiful go back to this world so when I was young, here, here's how I felt about this book. The first two books in the series build this incredible world that's so rich and exciting and there's so much going on. And yeah. we go from um, the tombs of Atuan where we spend a significant amount of time with Tanar and beyond her, you know, an all-woman society, even if it is operating within a patriarchal system mm-hmm. um, and a uh, really upsetting religious framework yeah um but we learned so much about her private 
hopes and self. So to go from that to um, two men (laughs) just in a boat together, teaching each other about life um, feels a little bit jarring. It's it's quite different. Mm -hmm. Like I kept thinking of the tombs of Atuan while I was reading this book and I like... It's like, this is such a different book. And then on top of that, Earthsea is essentially being destroyed throughout this book. Like we're losing all of those magical moments and the great mages and the dragons are, you know, falling into stupors. It made me think about like climate change a lot too, which is something that is not as potentially hopeful as the Black Lives Matter movement right now because it's like, The Black Lives Matter movement has objectives. Um, There has been not like incredible progress, but since the beginning of the movement, like now this is a conversation on the table. It's coming up in uh, legislative and policy discussions all the time, as opposed to it just being kind of like, oh yeah, like, yeah, we know, like we'll, we'll fix all of our racial problems in America someday, but not today. Um, and now it feels like it's actually on the table versus with climate change. I just feel like it's, there's so, I don't know. seems like it's just going to come get us all in the end. And, uh, this book made me think about that, which is probably another reason that I held myself a little bit distant from it emotionally. Yeah, I totally get that. And we also have the introduction of drug abuse and slavery. Yeah, both like right in there. Um, which, which is good. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's, it's good when you have those themes in fantasy as opposed to just kind of like edging around them Mm -hmm. um, because those are very culturally relevant themes. Yeah, Yeah, they are. And the slavery piece, especially, um, I mean, Aaron is enslaved, not for very long, but he really thinks through the steps of what would be left of his life. If, um, he were to be sold as a slave and even the relatively brief amount of time that he spends with the other men on the slave boat um, is very, it's, it's very sobering, but it doesn't look away from the reality of any of their lives. Mm-hmm. Like one of them has had his tongue cut out. Um, others have clearly also been kidnapped. They've been drugged. Mm-hmm. Um and there's a very like straightforward conversation that Ged has with him afterwards where he says, you're the one they wanted because yeah. you're young. Yeah. Like you're very valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. All of which is relevant to actual practices of slavery, mm-hmm. um, historical practices uh, and present day practices. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so Something that maybe, maybe this, well, I read this after the book, but there, there was an afterward, um, in my ebook edition, because we no longer have our original copy, Mm. um, with a substantial note from Ursula Le Guin saying that she wrote this book in 1972 after the 60s when Mm. she felt that there had been this, moment that's in some ways kind of similar to what's happening now where there was a push for racial equity um, and for a different approach to life in the United States. And then she said that she felt that that very quickly got very wrapped up in um, she didn't say this explicitly, but essentially, like the evils of capitalism. Um, she referred Vietnam to it as more. She referred to it as consumerism. Yeah. Um, but and then also drug addiction mm. and the and I mean AIDS didn't happen yet. But I'm just kind of following those threads through like some of the many reasons why activists of that time were not able to continue the work that they were doing, and she wanted to reflect that in Earthsea. She felt mm. that it would make sense happening there as well um, where there have been these attempts to move forward, but because of the balance, then the other forces are going to push back. Mm -hmm. And then following that through, I think the main reason that this book actually felt comforting to me is I love a discussion of why immortality is actually bad. And it's so well done here. Um, It's, 
it's so carefully thought through mm-hmm. and I think described in a way that even young readers can understand yes, because definitely. this book has significant Taoist themes, which is where mm. the balance in Earth yeah. Sea comes from, it, that everything always needs to be at the same, you know, even level between the two opposed the sets of two opposing forces. And the realization that you cannot fear death if you embrace life because you cannot have life without eventual death Mm -hmm. is a really important one and as someone who struggles with existential fears and panics Mm. (laughs) um, thinking along those lines is always very soothing for me um, that and, that was probably the part of the book that I connected with mm-hmm. the most because yeah, thinking about it in a in a way that it's okay, this is part of a natural cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, without death, life would have no meaning. Yeah. That is very comforting because I too fear death. Right, exactly, um, and immortality we get a glimpse of because that's what Cobb is attempting to do Looks and it's pretty like, bad oh Looks, so uh, pretty bad want to like pervert all of the forces <laughs> that are trying to push everything in the direction of life right. or death yeah it's not um, great. It, it doesn't work it's not going to be very nice and he in the end we see him actually go into death because Ged releases him and the, the view of the afterlife in this book is also very interesting in that it's essentially wraith-like souls that are devoid of any feelings because they're dead. So, you know, in some ways that's there's no pain, there's no anger, there's no hate, but there's also no hope, no love. Aaron mentions that, you know, people who died for love float past each other without caring. Um, and that's pretty sobering as well. <laughs> it, it sounds like um, that. So the Roman mythology around the land of the dead, it reminds me of that. There's a certain large part of Hades, not like the Elysian fields yeah. or something nice where like the true warriors get to go. Uh, rather there's just a lot um, including the river Styx itself, which right. is full of just watering, like dead souls, mm-hmm. um, of just shades. That's what they call them, shades, right. which I love. Yeah. Just like, yeah, like wandering around purposelessly. And mm-hmm. that's why, like, when you touch the river Styx, that's when you become that shade mm-hmm. because the river Styx, you know, cleanses you of all of your memories and personhood. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminded me of that. Yeah, totally. And there's no there's no menace there. Aaron mentions that he's not afraid of them the way he was when there were some kind of um, distorted, half alive spirits that they saw earlier that were right. damaged by Cobb. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is, you know, there is peace in that as well. Yeah, like <laughs> I can see the appeal in, you know, just just a total release going away no more responsibilities um and so i was also very yeah very interested by that um so i found this much more rewarding reading as an adult than when i was young because when i was younger it was like okay gotta get through this and then i can go back to tanar (laughs) (laughs) yes let's do it um yeah so Kind of a free-flowing discussion today. Um, let's do animals. Oh, Just yeah. like animals in this book. The dragons are uh, lovely. <laughs> the dragons are really cool. Uh, lovely and I, to me, at least. I totally get the smog part. Mm-hmm. They're like good smogs. Yes. Well, I wouldn't even call them good. I don't no, think they have... Neutral. Yeah, they, they don't have, have a moral own. alignment. Yeah. Um, they are Might be able to even call them like chaotic neutral. Well, they're I know you mentioned neutral. that they're not deified, which is true in some ways, but they're so vast in their wisdom and understanding. Like there was a great line at one point when Oren is thinking that in the depths of um what's the name of the last dragon, the one that saves them? Clarissa. <laughs> 
Marissa. <laughs> In the depths of Kalesin's eye are the beginnings of the world. Yeah. Um, like they just have this like stars total experience deep space kind of right like they have been and they are and they will be um and when orm embar dies it's horrible i really felt that um, especially because he uh essentially sacrifices himself by flinging himself down onto Cobb's sending Mm -hmm. and you know at that point he's lost his wisdom so it may have been the right thing the for choice. everyone. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I enjoyed spending time with him. We haven't had a dragon in a book we've covered for a it's while. It's been a minute. Yeah. It's been a little while or just very quick appearances. We adore dragons in all forms. It's why we have named our podcast such. <laughs> um, and I really loved the way that these popped in and out of the narrative. Um, the visual of uh, or a member landing on the raft community <laughs> is a really good one too. And I love that a lot of the men are just like, ah, and jump off of <laughs> the yeah. rafts into the water. And then they sheepishly come back and they're like, okay, he's not going to kill us. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Pretend food. Pretend food. <laughs> I got so excited. I conked well, my, hit herself my on the mic. guard with uh, my glasses. Yet another hungry book. Yeah. I, we, were, we were really striking out <laughs> what we've been choosing. Um, I will say I uh, that there are some pleasant moments when they are out on their boat and um, Aaron is swimming and splashing around and having a great time. And then Ged catches a nice fish for them to eat. Splashing around, splashing having around, a great time. Eating a fish <laughs> that your dad king bot got for you. <laughs> your dad king bot got for you. Um, but other than that, there's just a lot of like gross attempts at getting enough to eat. There's like a horrible bitter wine that the people of Larbany drink and offer. And God, that place is I, everywhere they go is awful. Truly, it reminded me a little bit of the settlements in Wolf Tower. Mm, like there were just yeah. some, like the sheep herders or whatever, like the ones that call her Clady Ba. For sure. And she's kind of um, bleak. Yeah. Also, moments from uh, Sabriel when she's in the Old Kingdom and Lyriel when they're coming across. Or like going into death. Yeah. Well, no, but I'm talking specifically about these like forsaken little settlements um, where everything is just falling apart. Like, wow, this is a bad time. And they're clinging, clinging desperately on. Yeah. Um, Lentil and onion soup we get a mention of when they're at uh, the Isle of Wise. But outside of that, it's all just kind of things on the go. Um, And when they're in Hort Town, they eat greasy fish cakes. (laughs) I'm really scraping the bottom of the barrel here. (laughs) That's uh, that's about it. That's probably about everything. Yeah, Yeah. not a lot going on. I would love some tastier things to think about, Uh, but that's it. That's all for now. Let's talk about Badass Lady Meter. We'll give our ratings, but then also just generally the disappointing lack of women in Mm, this book. Um, So Ursula Le Guin has actually said that she felt her first book from a female character's perspective was actually Tahanu hmm. because during Tombs of Atuan, she was still thinking primarily about Ged's narrative hmm. because he okay. is the one that yeah. really brings all the right, action the about catalyst. in that book. Yeah. yeah. And while the majority of the book is Tenar trying to, at first trying to be a good, you know, eaten one and then um, <laughs> coping with her growing, um, subversive nature and desire to escape um get is still yeah the driving force of action there um so i i do if you'll indulge me i'd love (laughs) to keep going and read tahanu and cover it on the podcast at some point yeah yeah absolutely Um, because i do think it's a good conclusion to to this story and also um brings brings a lot of the things that i think you especially were missing from the the shore i don't know this this is me uh 
just kind of editorializing this has no basis in anything or so Guin has said, but <laughs> I wonder if just in reading about um, the way that she was uh, drawing on the current period in the United States when mm. she was writing this book, if like part of that is the reason why there aren't really many women doing anything huh. of import. Um, okay. They're kind of in the background in more domestic tasks. Um, and there aren't, at least yet, to our knowledge, women who are mages or have magic. Yeah. Or even any lady dragons. So the lack of female dragons is just, I mean, come on. It's like the wind in the willows when <laughs> they're just all men and they don't need to be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, badass ladies, who, do you have someone in mind? Look far. Oh, the boat. <laughs> nice. Boats are ladies. That's true. Um, and Look Far is a great boat. And I also love that at the end, Ged um, like finds Look Far again. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. cute. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I rate Look Far the voyage. Oh, wind in it in her sails that's all just the voyage um you know there's there's really no women in this book y'all there's the (laughs) scarf seller um there's the dyer um and then other than that it's there's the little girl who is one of the raft people she was cool she makes fun of ged swimming yes (laughs) and tells him to swim more like an otter um but we don't really get enough time with any of them to, uh, yeah, for me to say much about any of them. Um, so I'm just going to give my rating to Ursula K. Le Guin, oh. if that's okay. Yeah, she's a um, lady in this book. <laughs> yeah, she is a woman involved in this book. Um, I uh, just respect and appreciate her so much. And yeah. I'm still sad that she is no longer with us. Um, yeah. So my rating for Ursula Le Guin is some tasty pretend food. <laughs> I didn't like get any in this book. A less greasy fish cake. Yeah. Um, lentil and onion soup, but like the best lentil and onion right. soup I've ever had. Good lentil and onion soup. Um, fragrant and hearty and Because I love delightful. lentil soup. Yeah, I do too. Um, yeah, so that's not a very good rating, but I had to kind of scrape this together <laughs> to even have a rating. So... I think, uh, yeah, that's yeah. that's going to have to work. I think that's fair. So I think we've come to the end of our discussion of The Farthest Shore. Indeed. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Our next book is going to be The Castle in the Air by Diana Wynne-Jones, the technical sequel to Howl's Moving Castle, although it features some different characters. Um, yeah, excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To it. This Diana Wynne-Jones. Requested by a lot of different readers or listeners. Um, we so, hear you. Uh, we know it's good. <laughs> um, and with this, we can trim down our DWJ request list a little bit. It is long. <laughs> she was very prolific. We and they're all too. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Every book we read by her is unbelievable. I've not read a bad book by um, her. I'm still not over Homeward Bounders. My God. No, that was an incredible book. Thank you all so much for listening. You can find us many different places on the internet. We'll put up some of the fun covers on our website, dragonbabiespodcast.com, on Instagram at dragonbabiespodcast, and on Twitter at dragonbabiespod. I haven't been active on our social profiles because I just haven't felt like we should be voices that are being heard right now, but Mm -hmm. I do want to make it easy for y'all to find the episodes, so I'll start posting again. Um, and yeah, thank you for putting up with the slight delay as we, uh, waited a little bit to record this episode also, because everything is pretty wild right now. We appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Grace. I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>